1: From iHeart Podcast, I am Fab Five Freddy, and this is 50 Years of Hip Hop podcast series. So as we all by now clearly know, the birthplace of hip hop is the Bronx in New York City. <laughs> and would soon magnify, grow, expand, and morph into other boroughs, into other parts of the city. Queens, Staten Island. Brooklyn, of course, you know, Manhattan, money-making Manhattan, as we call it. This expansion of rap music would not stop. I mean, on and on to the break of dawn. And as other parts of the country began to hear and connect with this flavor, other sounds developed from other parts of the country, from the West Coast, from the Southwest, other parts of the east coast a lot of times people say the east coast they mainly are referencing new york as you'll hear later with other people speaking but we're talking the east coast of the country you know new york dc but it was mainly coming out of new york on the east but also philly which is kind of east was also a big early influence but stars were developing groups different ideas different beats were developing and having a really strong impact especially from Atlanta and they were touching all parts of the country without a doubt the South definitely had something to say along with everybody else let's get into it Shanti Das music industry executive
2: well New York I mean first of all let me just say I am a big fan of New York culture and hip-hop I lived in Jersey and worked in Manhattan for 10 years and as a young girl grew up listening to everybody from you know one of my favorite groups ever was a tribe called quest you know rest in peace to five dog and, and shout out to ali and q-tip so listening to those guys tribe and i think tribe was the one group that i love because they it was more live instrumentation it seemed like in some of their music but traditional hip-hop like it's you know epmd right or ll cool j it was more, I think, 808 heavy, you know, and beats and that sort of thing. And so Atlanta hip hop and Southern hip hop from the the onset, I think, was just like a hodgepodge of different sounds of music. Because I think that's one thing that was so special about the guys in the dungeon family, Rico, Ray and Pat, is that, you know, you had all these live musicians in the studio. You had a little bit of funk, gospel so they still had the the you know drum machines and and all of that. and it just brought it all together as like a mixture of different genres, if you will, and so. It was laid back. It was something you could sing to. I think Southern Playalistic, like that first album from our chance, was just so funky. And it was something that I think people hadn't really heard before. And it was like, well, you know, what is this? You know, it sounds a little bit like hip hop, but it also sounds like my, aunt, some, my auntie and my grandma might listen to also. And so it was just this new sound if you will it kind of came to the the forefront and you know you had sounds like from George Clinton you know if you will so it was very funky and and laced still with hard beats and so it was just a new sound and then I think as trap music evolved that was a different sound as well right Uh, I was in New York at the time when like T.I. and Jeezy and you know shout out to the late Shakir Stewart who I think was responsible for signing a lot of artists and really helping to shape What that trap music era sounded like, and I think trap music really was an opportunity for people to really talk about the environment and what they went through, um, the struggles growing up in the South, some things that you know guys had to do, maybe they weren't proud of, getting out of the trap, right, being able to 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 find other outlets for themselves, and so trap music to me was kind of reminiscent of what we heard in the earlier days. When hip hop started, whether it was, you know, Ice Cube talking about what he went through in the West Coast or, you know, the plight of the black community that you, you know, heard from Chuck D and Public Enemy, like trap music kind of talked about a lot of the struggles that we were going through in the South.
1: Yeah, Shanti Das, her auntie and grandma, if listening closely, were moved by bits and chunks of 60s and 70s soul songs that were sampled and used as a lot of rap's foundations. Bun B, hip-hop legend and entrepreneur. Well, I mean, you know, you got to go through a lot of things, right? So, I started seeing I
3: remember, you know, primarily a lot of hip-hop I saw came from New York. I started to see hip-hop come out of the West Coast, right? From L.A. and from the Bay Area. I started to see rap come out of let's say Philadelphia, right? With Schooly D and Tough Crew. We started to see rap come out of Florida with uh, ghetto style DJs and Luke records and all that early pack jam stuff you started to see guys like Kilo you know come out of Atlanta you started to see you know Gregory D and Manny Fresh uh, you know started to come out of New Orleans all of these different regions representing themselves and then there we were in Houston we had a lot of guys like RP Cola, Romeo Poet Billy D, Willie D you know the college boys primarily for us it was Rapalot Records, who was actually like a full up and running record label signing artists and releasing music in the city. And at the same time, as we were recording, we getting ready to release music, the Ghetto Boys ended up dropping mind playing Tricks on Me. It became this national hit record. You know what I'm saying? Cover of the Source magazine, performing live on Young TV raps, and that just gave us more confidence to believe that we could make it in this game. Like, look, these are people from where we from, basically, at this point, and they took that sh- all the way. So once we saw that, I know for me, it put a fire under me. You know what I'm saying? They're like, okay, Texas is actually recognized and acknowledged. You
1: know what I'm saying? Let's see where this sh- can go. Yeah, bun. Hip hop is like an algorithm. I feel once you figure it out. You can work it in any city or state in the country
4: or country on the whole planet. Paul Wall, rapper, DJ. When I think about how hip-hop expanded outside of New York City to down south, I sometimes get stuck between how it was and how it is. When I was growing up listening to Southern hip-hop, it was unaccepted by the rest of the music industry and the rest of the hip-hop community. It was like unwanted stepchild or something in terms of how everyone else looked at the South. Some of that was because of where it was created and the power that comes with that and the dopeness that comes with growing up in a place where this was created. So from birth, a lot of people's parents was around it or influenced by it one way or another. And almost everybody that grew up around it was influenced by it one way or another. So coming from the South where the southern ways weren't so much accepted. A lot of them were looked down on like the southern drawl or being talking slow or you know was looked down on as ignorance, but we just, it's a little, a little, a little warmer, a little hotter down in Texas. So we move a little slower sometimes, but we get there when we need to. Even with how we listen to the music in the South was so much different. The South and the Midwest were big on cars, on the car culture, along with the West Coast where it wasn't as big on the East Coast. So a lot of our music reflected that where we had a lot of bass. We had a lot of bass line, a lot of sampling where it wasn't the soul samples so much or the boom-back type of samples so much. It was more blues samples. And the blues samples would do something a little bit different when they hit in that bass and you had 808s and drums around the sample. And that's what you would see a lot in a lot of the Southern music. Also, a lot of the Southern producers... Almost all of them, you know, it's like the the, on, the only outlet for music is the church. So you learn so much in the church that influences how you create that music, how you play the instruments or how you just bring it all together. So when I think of how it was for me growing up in the South, there was a tremendous amount of pride listening to Southern hip hop for me or especially Texas hip hop, you know, from from sixth grade in school in Texas, you taught Texas history. And you you always kind of taught, of course our motto is everything is bigger in Texas, but you're always taught a sense of Texas pride. So you support things that come from Texas. A lot of people that come out of Texas, you feel like don't get a fair shot, so you root for them a little harder, you support them a little harder sometimes, and you just all around just are proud of where you're from. So being proud of Texas and proud of the music that came from Texas was something that I took a tremendous amount of pride
1: i'm glad to hear paul wall mention the blues because really when you think about it let's face it r b if you will is really rhythm and blues and blues is so much at the core of all american music and so the blues also which a lot of it originated in the south so many people in new york and the bigger cities Their families originated in the South, and then they migrated North into those other cities to have a better lifestyle. But the soul of that music is the soul of American music, and the South helped put a lot of that soul back into hip-hop without question. Rico Wade from Organized Noise, producer, pioneer of the Dirty South Sound.
5: When Andre said that the South got something to say closed minded folks you know what I'm saying it's like we got a demo tape on nobody want to hear it, but it's like this the South got something to say that's all I got to say that was after Southern Player this. we had already went platinum that's why I was so much disappointment in his boys. like we platinum like we, we're we platinum and plus um I think the Source magazine had told us they was going to put us on the cover of the Source and then at the end of the, right at the end Benzino or whatever, um, he put his group the Barrio Boys on the cover so we was like well, that's some obvious bullshit. You know what I'm saying? You gotta realize, you know what that and this is and we was talking to Dave Mays. Even Dave was like, this some bullshit. <laughs> but but luckily the source, it kinda it, it kinda broke up a little bit after that. A lot of the best writers, they really t- took a stand based on the way they cause cause of what you're saying. Like what you're saying, like the the majority was rocking with everybody. So it was still some inside, some inside challenges you had to deal with with certain DJs or certain people that that they was trying to like keep their old, their old New York alive. We we, got to play this more. And don't let me find a New York arts that we can support. We're going to try to or we're going to support him way harder than we can somebody else, which is cool, because if you undeniable, you undeniable. So, so that's what it made. It created the monster that's outcast It created that monster. These boys had to keep coming back with something else dope. You know I'm saying better lyrics. We had to come back with better music than than what we did before. And at the same time, not compromising or not being scared because it would be times when you know you, I'd be like, well, maybe we we don't have to do that. You know I'm saying y'all ain't got to We don't have to do. We don't have to be that different no more. We could just be straight here. But it was like, nah. we start like Outkast was driven at that point. That's all we know now is being different. You know, Rico, I, I feel you loud and clear on that, man. But in my opinion, you know what's
1: important is key to any region's success as hip hop spread around the country is a significant combo of unique and innovative music talent and a few key players who can handle business and make deals. I mean, sit at the table with the powers that be and structure a somewhat if you can, equitable deal. And that's key to any of these regions blowing up and having a significant influence. That's like the cheat code, if you will. Master P, he had it. Baby and Slim, Jermaine Dupree, L.A. Reed and Babyface, Jay Prince, just a few of those cats that knew how to put those deals in place to really make it happen. shouty Das.
2: Big Cat was a friend to OutKast and to Goody Mob. And he was one of the first DJs that would actually play our stuff, whether it was in rotation or not. Like, he fought really hard for us. And some of the other DJs, it took a lot harder. Like, Clue supported us, Doo-Wop. A lot of people supported us early on. But a lot of the bigger DJs, it took a long time for them to come around. And once they did, you know, the respect was there. But, you know, (laughs) being in New York and it being the birthplace of hip-hop, there's a certain level of arrogance that was always there from a hip hop perspective. And it was frustrating, especially as a young girl working street teams and promotions. And I was relentless at, you know, supporting my group and trying to break my group, but it was not easy getting our foot in the door. And even with Goody mob, like it was even harder working Goody mob than outcast. And so there were just times when we felt like, you know, step kids in the culture and we just, it was just it just meant that we had to work you know three four times as hard to get heard and to get that national attention and respect
1: don cannon dj record producer and music executive
6: i knew that being up north that we would never survive based on a crab in a barrel thought process they didn't have that the southern comfort allowed them i don't remember them ever being a serious beef if it was a rap argument it was a rap argument but it was never really the only one i seen was the pastor troy masterpiece thing but it still was in lines of hip-hop you know what i mean it, it wasn't like it was disrespectful but it wasn't like how the north we carry it you know what i mean the way we carry it up north is like we expose you and you're never supposed to come back around the ecosystem here allowed both of them to live it was like well People are like him Y'all go over there People are like him But I seen it When they started And when I said When when Andre said The South got something to say The South got something to say I felt like they didn't hear him I felt like they was like oh, So <laughs> What y'all got to say Nobody give a f-. You know what I'm saying And Even though they was making these Smacks And people was respecting them It was just them It was like Outkast was the whole Atlanta but he really he was saying Yo Anywhere from New Orleans Down to Miami South Carolina North Carolina Bro We on some sh-. You know what I mean But Atlanta still was just In a pocket I remember J- JD running it And I felt like They wasn't respecting him As an Atlantean They was respecting him As a New Yorker and I was like Yo bro He going crazy down here He You know It don't matter where he from He representing Atlanta But I felt like They didn't give him his props So I remember Specifically when Little John came out It being a real Like dangerous piece in Atlanta Like it was like When Little John came out And Crunk started Bro that's when Atlanta was like We it You know what I mean Because they stuck together one But you'll go to their clubs like The Bounce and 559 And Chocolate and all these And it was just This is what it is We don't want to hear nothing you know what I'm saying? Five, five, nine. You w- probably won't hear any biggie, any J. You might hear some old school Tupac, but they they created a way for themselves by saying, "We are Atlanta, and this is what it is." And I felt like that's where it turned into
1: the juggernaut of like, okay, to Atlanta, that's it. Like this is this is it. Jermaine Dupree was definitely key to a lot of what happened, especially in Atlanta, producing various acts that he introduced and as an artist himself. I mean, back in the days, for y'all that don't know, you got to remember, Jermaine Dupree started out as a hip hop dancer for the group Houdini and was a part of one of rap's first big tours. So Jermaine was moving fluently between New York, Atlanta, like diplomatic style paved the way for a lot of what would then happen in the South through incredible relationships he had built along the way. And then when Little John and that crunk sound dropped, oh my goodness what a big impact that had coast to coast. DJ Scream, Atlanta
7: mixtape legend. There's a lot of unity in Atlanta. If you look back to a lot of the music videos, if you look back to like Bold Crusher and Never Scared and Killer Mike and Bold Crusher and T.I. and Pastor Troy and Little John and Young Bloods Jermaine Dupri all of them were kind of like you know rocking and I don't know the story maybe they were really rocking maybe they weren't I don't know but it looked great see my thing was there was never a more impactful moment to me other than seeing the Wu-Tang thing it's like how can all these black people be together and not hate each other you know what I'm saying like it's just kind of crazy you have to give respect to the person that brought them together and then we saw it with Dungeon Family And then we saw it with like Death Row Records And it may not last forever But in our city You know am saying It was a city where I think the mentality at least at the time was Even if I don't like homie And he's doing his thing I ain't gonna hate him Even if we have a personal thing I can't hate on the fact that his music jam Oh man This Simple Bad Bass 808, man. bass like, the producers down south there's a lot of producers down south that can sample and they're dope at it, you know what I'm saying the producers oh, east coast you know, you go back to the classic producers, the way they sample is just unmatched, it just gives you a feeling, right and then the big drones and the south 808, man like you just hear it. you feel it in the car, you feel in the club. It's spiritual, like you feel that 808. It just do something for you. And I said for a long time, like, what's y'all cheat code? Yeah, 808. You know what I'm saying. And now you see different regions tapping into that 808 and this in their music. I really feel like the 808s is tribal and spiritual.
1: oh man, DJ Scream is so right. I love the sound of that 808. That deep bass, definitely a tribal vibe going on rattles you to the bone marrow man had a trunk of them cars rattling hard boy shanti das
2: these artists they drew inspiration from one another right like most of my friends all love a ball and mjg like you know and they are one of the greatest southern hip-hop acts ever Right, you talk about a UGK and what UGK meant to Outkast and the Dungeon Family. They all family. Bun B, like we all kind of grew up, you know, and and we vibed off the same music. And and some of the sounds are very similar. And so, I think Atlanta, you know, Atlanta helped to jump it off. But but those guys, you know, rightfully so, were doing their own thing, and you know, in Houston and the Ghetto Boys. The Ghetto Boys also used live instrumentation and had funky beats, and so. It was just that Southern love, that Southern hospitality, if you will. And so there's so many similarities and, and synergies there. But I think what Atlanta did for the Memphises of the world and the Houston's, I think, you know, you think about regional hip hop. Sometimes they look at, it, they would think, okay, Houston, you know, is, these are regional acts. Memphis, that's a Southern regional act. But the artists from Atlanta were able to break nationwide, I think, and it gave some of those regional hip-hop acts the opportunity to break nationally and even globally, globally. Oh
1: man, Shanti mentioned 8-Ball and MJG. Man, those was one of my favorite groups right there, man. Space AIDS, Pimpin' and that song, Just Like Candy. Man, them dudes was so cool. I remember when I signed and put out the group, Crucial Conflict a big influential group out of Chicago that had a whole lot of country swag. But who would know, unless you knew Chicago well, that a lot of folks, when they migrated up to Chicago from Alabama and places like that, Mississippi, a lot of them people, in the, especially on the west side of Chicago, Kept a lot of that Southern flavor with them and found this incredible group, Crucial Conflict, and put them together. And their first show at the Regal was opening for 8-Ball and MJG. And I was so honored to meet those cats backstage and watch Crucial Conflict blow up. Talking about hey in the middle of the barn.
5: <laughs> Rico Wade from Organized Noise. Master P and Baby did become art were artists, but they were really... Master P got that... The hustle that he did when he was talking about the Bay Area, when he was out in the Bay Area and figured out that they were selling records just in the Bay Area, like records that wasn't selling in no, no other places, but they was going 200000 $300,000 or gold independently, and they was getting rich. The fact that he even took that mentality to the South and said, who cares if we get played on the radio? Let's just, let's just sell them. Let's just sell these records. Let's sell these records and get this money and split it up and keep doing it. I'm very proud of all them. Ice
1: T, actor, rapper, West Coast hip hop pioneer. I think that early,
8: you know, I came out. It's only one rapper. Then you got kind of like Two Short coming through, bringing the Bay up. Even Ghetto Boys out of Texas, they not really West Coast, but they was coming out. But they. But I think once N.W.A. started making their moves, and then the real bang was is with Death Row and. All that started happening with Pac and Suge and all that Snoop Dogg. It was just like a, a tidal wave of West Coast music. Death Row and them just put so many re- good records out. They had so much energy going by now. you got Compton's most wanted. You got all of us. It's it's a lot of action going on in the West Coast. But I think the real Death Row movement really was the most powerful one that really said, hey, the West Coast got a sound. Dre really Using a lot of George Clinton sounds, really stamped in, you know, Warren G created Chief Funk. We just had a different energy. See, the thing of it is, it's like music matches the culture, like, not the culture, but the, the, the climate of the, the place. So if you listen to New York, New York is Wu-Tang Clan. New York is the trains. New York is static. Like you step on the streets, it's like, that's New York. LA you riding we riding so the music's a little more laid back we got palm trees we got big booty girls everything is cool until the pops off that's LA down south they got a southern swag that's why you see your goodie mob and all them so it has to match hence what Russell told me when I started you have to rep where you're from the music has to reflect to live crew it was a Miami sound that Miami bass they kicked in, all the booty shaking and all that was down there. So when L.A. found its real place
1: was when Dre and them really locked in that death row sound. As far as the West Coast hip hop scene and what that was, you know, my show, Young T V Raps, was important because this is where we got to show you and oftentimes go to the neighborhoods where these artists live, N.W.A., debuting on my show back then, Easy e that whole thing. And me and Dre, I developed a good friendship with him. And he asked me to come and direct Snoop's first video back then for the song What's My Name. And that ended up with me spending that whole summer out in LA crashing at Dre's crib because the focus was finishing up Snoop's album. And I was had to finish up his first video. So I got to really feel that whole LA lifestyle the music was really designed to listen well while driving and it was so amazing to listen to records like the chronic and other things that like Dre was cooking up while rolling from one part of LA to the next in those long drives so it was really important and really um, a firsthand look at that whole part of hip-hop blowing up the D.O.C rapper, producer, songwriter.
7: For me, when it showed up, it just, you
8: know, Rakim says it ain't where you're from, it's where you at. And so it came from New York, but it belongs to us all. And it's going to manifest itself through each individual in their own, depending on what their zip code is. Uh, but me, I'm a Texas dude, Dallas, Texas, but I'm a East Coast MC in my heart you know and so but i was raised on west coast music and hip-hop i'm just a hybrid of, of all of those things that, that that's what kind of made i think it's makes me sort of unique coming up in this game but hip-hop is a universal thing to me bro um we all respect those boroughs where it found its way to us but it's a universal thing that's
0: Worldwide. Worldwide.
1: Hip-hop's influence was spread far beyond its musical artistry into many other industries and forms of expression. With the cultural and worldwide dominance of hip-hop growing and expanding, we would soon see its expression in the world of fashion. Hip-hop didn't just create a music genre, it defined a fashion style. What started out as streetwear and urban wear evolved into a unique style that has become high fashion at the highest level but only matched by its attitude and confidence. Ralph McDaniels, co-creator of New York's pioneering show, Video Music Box, and currently the hip hop coordinator for the Queens Public Library.
9: I think hip hop's impact on lifestyle and the arts, and it's always been about just do your own thing. You know, it's always, it's never been like fit into this. You know, even though it is that, But we always say Do your own thing And if you If you operate like that You're free to do Whatever you want to do Russell Simmons First time I went to A record company He had no sneakers He had his hat to the back And he had You know His hoodie on And I thought You were supposed to wear a suit When you walk into One of these Type of office And I was like They're not gonna let him in And he walked right in And they were like Russ, What up Russ? And I was like so if you have something that people want, you can wear whatever you want to wear and look and talk however you want to talk, if not, as long as you bring them what they want. And that was a game changer for me, because I was like, I didn't want to get dressed up and wear a suit everywhere I went in hard bottoms. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw my sneakers on. We good now. And that changed everything. And everywhere you went, everybody looked like Russell. You know, they had on a little packer sweater or whatever. And they talked like him, and I was like, this dude changed everything. You know, like, this is how we're gonna act. And I don't know where he got it from, but this is how we're gonna act. That's what hip hop does. Great point, Ralph. You know, the bold
1: and disruptive nature of wearing jeans and sneakers to a business meeting, that spoke volumes back then. That's a part of the disruptive nature at the core of hip hop culture, without question, swag for sure. Yes, indeed. Carl Kanai, fashion designer and the godfather of urban streetwear.
10: Hip hop is everything in the fashion world. When we talk about fashion and hip hop, you know, when people talk about who started streetwear, I say people time, when we started, I didn't really know where the, my end game was going to be, but I knew I was doing something that was right. I knew I was doing something that's fulfilling. I knew that I was doing something because when we went to the stores, We didn't see any of our people being represented to the fashion world But we spent all our money Me and all my friends, we always was broke We had our fresh clothes So this thing called fashion This thing called hip-hop was kept calling our name And I say to people all the time Sometimes destiny is calling your line But you gotta pick up the call Right? So when I saw How much money we were spending And I saw my dad How I got into fashion Originally my dad used to get his clothes made by a tailor my dad's from Panama. He wanted his clothes to fit him a certain way. So he used to go to the last street, buy his fabric, and then take it back to Flappers. So I tell Flappers, his used to make it for him. So I kind of saw the process of making your own clothing. That's what inspired me to start making my own clothes more. When my dad and my mom got divorced in East New York, a lot of my friends used to shop at the same stores. And if I had something fresh, I'm not gonna tell you where I got it from because I don't want you wearing the same thing I got, right? So there's a lot of competition. Do those secrets, you know what I'm saying? And then, like, I remember one day I was thinking, I said, damn, if I make an outfit with my dad's tailor, none of these dudes will happen on. So I asked my dad, can I make an outfit? He was kind of surprised at the accident. He's like, you want to make an outfit? I was like, yeah. So I went to land said, bought five yards of linen, and I brought it back to his tailor. And I told him I wanted a jean suit style made out of linen. I kind of designed what I wanted, but I told him I want the pants leg to be bigger. But back then we were looking for bigger clothing, but it wasn't in the stores. You know what I'm saying it had no designer was making baggy clothes. So once I told him that he says, "Sure, I'm just gonna open up the legs for you." So when I wore that outfit around the way, he's like, "Man, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get it from?" So you know I ain't telling about my tailor, right? I said, "If you want, I'll make you one." So I used to have all the hustlers coming up to give me wads of cash and to buy my outfits that I had on. They wanted every color, so that's kind of how street gear was and that's kind of how i got into the business selling to the hustlers first and then it started to transpire from there fascinating to hear carl kanai's
1: origin man you know as a true pioneer of hip-hop fashion you started with cut and sew in the same way dapper dan did in harlem although dapp was you know cutting leather and doing incredible designs unique designs using gucci louis vuitton and MCM's logos, his original clientele, just like yours, Carl, with them street corner hustlers and those rappers that was about to blow up. Kid Capri, Grammy award-winning DJ and producer. You go back to run the MC. Bedouin,
11: Adidas uh, suit, Adidas sneaker with the, with no laces in it. When did the garden put the sneaker up? 20,000 people had the sneak up. Adidas gives them a deal. Bang. So you got Adidas that been Adidas forever, coming to a hip hop concert and seeing this shit, something they'd never seen before, and a whole arena is holding a sneaker. Who did it first? Before them, and this is in the '80s. So it always been a part of hip hop since then. You would see Fat Farm, Rockwell You know, like you see these things. They always been there. Cross colors. This hip hop fashion called Kanai. Hip hop fashion. Timberland became hip hop fashion. Tommy Hilfiger, hip hop fashion. Kelly Hansen. You know Them said all these things became Gucci, Louis Vuitton, all hip hop fashion. It's not hip hop fashion, Louis Gucci, and all those, but we it, we made it become that. Like Fela's, before people knew what is, Feliz was out way years. White people, tennis players, was wearing fela's before anybody knew what fela's were. Years before they were out, and when fela's came out, they thought it was a new thing. Bally been out,
1: Patrick's been out. It's just that it came to the hood later. But I was wearing all that.
12: Kwame, rapper
1: and record producer.
12: Hip hop has been around long enough to now that the major designers are most likely hip hop fans or understand the culture of hip hop in their DNA as opposed to 30 years ago it's some guy that designed ball gowns and don't understand what street wear is at all and we've also incorporated so many other styles that we've like gumbo we've mixed everything in and everything is now considered hip hop fashion and it's just very interesting I think again the quick answer is fashion would be extremely boring and extremely how do I put this without offending because I don't want to do that. Extremely boring and extremely effeminate. You understand what I'm saying? There wouldn't be any extra forms of masculinity in fashion without hip hop fashion. I think hip hop brings that grunginess to certain fashion lines that probably would not have been there, if that makes sense. And it's weird because hip hop fashion is so ingrained in our culture. You know, you could take this, like this Ralph Lauren sweater and i can wear it a certain way and it could be hip-hop but somebody could say no that's college fashion you know that's collegiate fashion but yeah but it could be twisted here that's the greatness about hip-hop fashion it could be twisted in so many different directions you could take ball gowns and you could take college wear and you could take black tie wear and flip it in a way where you turn it into hip-hop fashion so now it's like you can't I don't think there's any such thing as just like a definitive quote-unquote hip-hop thing. It's a spin on whatever you already have that makes it hip-hop. And note, that spin that is in the DNA now makes fashion extremely interesting. Carl Kanai.
10: Cross Colors played a major, major role in the success of Carl Kanai, okay? The owner of Cross Colors' name is Carl Jones, TJ Walker. I owe a lot to them. You know, Carl... Had the infrastructure set up, they had the customer service, the shipping, the receiving. A black-owned company, they were on their grind. And what Carl and I need is what they had. We needed infrastructure that they have. They had something that I needed, and we was able to assist them as well too. Because Cross Colors preferred to have Carl and I be on their team as opposed to me, to me being their competition. Okay, they didn't want me to be with somebody else and compete against them. It's better to have two black-owned companies together under the same umbrella, and we could dominate together. So together we were a lot more powerful. So cross colors helped set the infrastructure. And we came in and we took the streets and gave cross colors the street pump that they needed in a brand, because that's what we bought. We bought the streets. We knew how to get the hustlers in our clothing. We knew how to get the stuff in every inner city store in every hood. That was our main focus, it was focused on inner city stores in every hood. That's all the hustlers shop and that's where our clothing needed to be. So we had a philosophy on how we wanted to promote and distribute our brand. I feel like the coconut brand. what we've done is they will be showing that you could be young and competing against the big boys and compete against big corporations is out there now that being said the rappers they have the big influence in terms of uh, exposure and things like that so i felt like we played our role i honestly feel what what does inspire people that you could become a businessman that you don't have to be a rapper right you show that you could just other ways you could get big in this business you don't have because everyone the chances of you being successful rap is slim and none. there's very few successful rappers back in the days right you had a hand 10 20 the most right what is other avenues other ways you can become successful in this business and holding became a major major force that even every rapper started doing their own call grind as well too they saw how powerful and how big this business was how influential they were at the same time so i feel like the coconut grand inspired people just on a business level to be young black and be successful and compete with the big dogs i think it inspired a lot of corporations yet yeah, to look at hip-hop in a whole different manner they are seen how big this thing could get. i mean look at the owner sketches. he saw he came and he to me once the coconut footwear he knew nothing about hip-hop but he saw the influence that we had on the marketplace he wanted he wanted in so it shows you that how influential this whole movement has been over the years don cannon I've heard from 10 years old to
6: this year that it's just a fad. It's just a fad. It's gonna go away. They ain't gonna, y'all ain't gonna... Y'all gonna be listening to something else when you're 15, something else when you're 20, 25, 30, 40 came. I was like... You're like, yeah. You know what I mean? To the point where I, when I told the story about my mom saying hip-hop died in 1997 to now her listening to hip-hop records and asking me to make her a playlist of hip-hop records my aunt donna rest in peace was a huge tupac fan and that came years after saying rap wasn't gonna be there she was just always cool with it but everybody saying that rap wasn't gonna be there or hip-hop was gonna be there we're like look we 50 years old we half a century bro what in the world how did this happen when is it's not gonna die it's a regenerating organ. This joint just keep going, bro. Like, we're going to have down spots. We're going to come up. We're going to down spots, come up. Like, it's just, it's influenced everything. It's influenced. People don't do enough studying, but our, our R&B records, our hip-hop records, Taylor Swift beats and Katy Perry beats their hip-hop beats. That's in a whole nother genre. We got country, which was known a lot of, it was like, no is hip-hop gospel which was also any form of hip-hop was a secular space now guess what it's in gospel music you know what i'm saying so it's like we influenced everything we influenced bro we influenced the touchdowns in football you know what i mean every dance they doing now it's all hip-hop influenced rap influenced basketball dunks and swag hip-hop influenced you know what i mean the tables have turned from hustlers and how they get their money. It's based on hip hop. You know what I mean? It's what Elliot made <laughs> for the artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You turn on commercials for TV salesmen. They're using hip hop influence. Sports Center, you turn it on, it's hip hop influence. So it's definitely beyond a hundred years that I can see. Like, it's just, it's gonna go. Like, it's just the
1: influences. On the next episode of the 50 Years of Hip Hop podcast series, you know it, it's time for Ladies First. That's right, from Queen Latifah's U-N-I-T-Y all the way to what Cardi B's been up to lately. Women MCs who have played a strong part in the development of hip hop culture from the very beginning, they continue to rule their queendoms and make the moves that need to be made we're gonna explore the evolution of the women of hip-hop through a variety of topics, from the founding mothers to the evolution of women in rap today. And through all this success and failures and triumph and turbulence, we wanna know: can hip-hop outlive most of us and make it to the century mark? Haha. We're gonna get into all that, baby. 50 Years of Hip Hop podcast series rolls on, rolls strong. This episode has been executive produced by Dolly S. Bishop, hosted and produced by your boy Fab Five Freddy, produced by Aaron A. King Howard, edit, mix, sound by Dwayne Crawford, music scoring by Trey Jones, talent booking by Nicole Spence.